I'm Anya Kerr and this is Reignite. Well, it's fair to say that we often delve into pretty deep concepts here at Reignite when trying to figure out the future of work, careers, teams, businesses and our personal lives. But at its simplest in life or in work, it pretty much boils down to the capacity for trust, kindness, purpose, courage and just curiosity. And so over the next hour, you're going to hear from people who are working to build trust, to inspire, to give back generously to those seeking restarts in Ireland, to help people face up to conflict and problems and to help us rethink what it means to be ambitious for ourselves and for each other. As usual, you can text us on 51551, email to reignite at orte.ie or tweet at reignite RTE. Now, our first guest this morning is the eldest son of Stephen Orr Covey, author of the groundbreaking book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. 40 million copies and counting. Stephen M. Orr Covey himself has followed in his father's footsteps as the author of Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. And he's also the author of The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything. He joined me earlier to talk talk about his work, but we started talking about his father's seven habits. And I began by asking him, what is the one habit that's most difficult to practice in these times of constant flux? You know, that's an interesting question. Two immediately popped to mind. (laughs) Um, One is habit five. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And we've got that backwards in our society today, for the most part. People don't feel heard. They don't feel understood. There's a lot of talking, not a lot of understanding. And and um, and we see that in society, in in broken down politics, in, in broken down, uh, you know, all kinds of different conflicts and, and the like. And there's not enough true understanding. And understanding does not mean agreeing. You may not agree. It just means you understand. And we need more of that. Have it five. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. The other one that just popped to mind as well, though, is the foundational habit. Habit one, be proactive. It's very easy to become reactive in our world today with all that's happening. And the idea that in between stimulus, what happens to us and response, our response to it, there is a space. And in that space, we can choose our response based upon our values, not just respond out of stimuli. That idea has never been more important than today when there's so much pressure and so many different things happening, so much change. We are not programs. We are programmers. And that's what Habit One is all about. We're Be proactive. You are the programmer, so write the program. And in all of that, Stephen M. Orkavi, is, is there any habit that maybe has become easier the more informed, the more educated we've become as a society? Well, I would say that habit seven, sharpen the saw. I don't think it's become easier in terms of actually doing it because it takes time, you know, to focus on yourself, your the body, the heart, the mind, the spirit. It's just become more understood why this matters so much. You know, the, the physical side, more understood, the social, emotional, the whole you know, emergence of emotional intelligence, the whole idea of strengths and strengths finders. And, you know, that's kind of emerged. And then the spiritual, which is really 
the focus on purpose and meaning. And, and right today, there's so much awareness that we need purpose. And so, you know, don't be too busy sawing to take time to sharpen the saw. We have to renew ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, holistically, in order to be at our best selves. That is still hard to do, but it's far more understood why we should be doing this. And at the time, it was maybe not quite as 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 clear as what's become more clear in our in our world today. So it's become, you know, there's more support around this idea to always make sure you take time to sharpen the saw. Your father, through the years, Stephen Orkavi, worked with, I think, something like 50 heads of state. And you're out in the world working with business leaders, political leaders, people all over the world. Are there any leaders who now credit the teachings, the learnings of your father with their leadership style and their own impact in the world around them? As you mentioned, my father um, worked with, with leaders from every walk of life, including heads of state. But he also worked with leaders in education and in healthcare and in business. He also did a lot of work with um, other senior leaders, but also mid-level managers and even frontline. And many are have been influenced by him. His influence continues because it gives a, a paradigm of human effectiveness, a way of thinking about it. Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, said that the seven habits kind of is like a, a user interface. Um, not for computers, but for human effectiveness. It's not that he invented the principles behind the habits. And my father was always would always say, I didn't invent these ideas. I'm just expressing them, phrasing them, sequencing them, making them practical and tangible and actionable. And Jim Collins called it a user interface for human effectiveness so that we can become more effective in, in our lives and as leaders. And so many, many leaders have said that my father's been as big or one of the biggest influences in their life, in their leadership, how they how they look at things. In terms of building on his legacy and living the habits, is, is there any one of the, the habits that you've lived well? I think I have really worked hard on habit two, which is begin with the end in mind. You know, habit one says you're not a program, you're a programmer. So habit two says then, write the program. What's your end in mind? I haven't always done good at this, but I've gotten better over time where I, I really go into any situation, in any relationship, in any project I'm working on. And I ask, what are my goals here? What, what am I, why am I doing this? And I, I've done that for my career as I literally revamped. I went from being a you know operator, a, a business person day in, day out to a thought leader, but it wasn't just by happenstance. It was really thinking through the kind of work I wanted to do, the contributions I wanted to make and scripting or rescripting myself and writing a new program, developing a sense of purpose and, and clarifying what that purpose is and those values. And so I've tried to, to do a good job. I'm not claiming I'm perfect at this. I become very intentional about uh, what my end in mind is for anything. And in many situations, my end in mind might simply be, I want to build a great relationship with my child. It's just that I'm more clear. There's intentionality to um, who I am and what I'm about and what I'm trying to do with my world, with my life. 
In your book, Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others, if we're to teach others to begin with the end in mind, we have to move away from what you call the era of command and control and instead replace it with this trust and inspire. What's the difference? The difference is night and day. The command and control kind of operates on the premise of people being things, If you treat people like things, like objects, but not as human beings with autonomy, agency, choice, options, many people in their leadership, they manage people and things. That's what command and control is. Trust and inspire, you manage things, you lead people. So command and control is I I try to get results through people. That sounds pretty good, but the problem is people are just a means to an end. Trust and Inspire is saying, I get results in a way that grows people. So people are also an end. You know, command and control is about motivation, carrot and stick. Trust and Inspire is about inspiration. It's intrinsic. It's inside of people. And to inspire means to breathe life into. So I'm I'm breathing life into relationships and teams and cultures. And so the whole point is that We've kind of been deeply scripted in a command and control world for decades, and we've become better at it. It's We've moved to what I call an enlightened command and control, a better version of it, a far better version, but we still too much manage people. People don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. And not just the younger generations, it's clear that the younger generations do, but also Um, Really, every generation does. You manage things, you lead people. That's the idea behind the book. The traditionalists, those who like the command and control mode of operation might say, well, greater productivity, you just get things done. Is there any hard data yet that that shows these high trust organisations you're talking about ultimately outperform the low trust ones? Are we seeing any kind of cut through that says this is the distance of travel really for organisations and leaders? There's multiple sources of data. I'll cite two. One is studied by Watson Wetch or the high trust organizations outperform low trust organizations by 286%. That's nearly three times in total return to shareholders. You'll see a similar thing from the Great Place to Work Institute. Those companies outperform the market by 288%, nearly identical, three times higher. So It's kind of an illusion to think, well, command and control gets better results. It really doesn't, especially not anymore, not in our new world where people have choices and options. They'll go someplace else where they feel trusted and inspired. What brings out the best in people is when there's trust operating. They perform better by about three times. They innovate more by about 11 times. And they retain their people far better at a time of of a great resignation of people. You'll do everything better if you build a high trust culture that inspires. And also people who are inspired are 125% more productive than merely satisfied employees and even 56% more productive than engaged employees. So inspiration is where everything is going. So I call it trust and inspire. You model, you trust, and you inspire. And if we do that, our people will respond to it and perform better and return the trust. It becomes a virtuous upward cycle. 
having worked in a lot of organisations that aspire to the trust and, and inspire that, that you talk about, but sometimes then you struggle with, well, how do I do accountability? How do I be strong without being forceful? How do I practice assertiveness without being aggressive? And I think that's the tension point still that probably a lot of teams and leaders really struggle with. It is. You've identified the key point, Ornia. And it's very easy to kind of throw out trust and inspire especially during hard, difficult times. And I would say that that's actually called abdicate and abandon. <laughs> you know, the opposite of command and control is not trust and inspire. The opposite of command and control is abdicate and abandon, where you're not leading and you're, and you're weak and you don't have expectations, you don't have accountability. Trust and inspire is a third alternative. And what happens is you, you build control into an, the agreement. In other words, it's not you have high expectations you agree to a process of accountability. So whenever you extend trust, you're always doing it with expectations and accountability. Otherwise, it's a blind trust. We want to extend smart trust with expectations and accountability to the trust being given. But then when you build the agreement, then the agreement governs. You don't have to hover over and micromanage someone. You built an agreement together with high expectations. And then people hold themselves accountable to that agreement. But they feel trusted and they feel inspired by that. And you still keep control. It's just done through agreements. It's done through context. It's done through the relationship, through the culture, as opposed to just rules. And so your point is valid. But this style of leadership, trust and inspire, is what's needed today where people want this kind of, um, they want autonomy, and yet we still have to get results. So let's build the agreement together with expectations and accountability. I really do believe that you can be authoritative without being authoritarian. <laughs> and you can be decisive without being autocratic. You can be strong without being forceful. And you can be in charge and have control without being controlling. And Trust and Inspire is a way of how you can do all of that. It's a better way to lead in a new world of work. And you think about it, in a new world of work, we need a new way to lead. I think it's Trust and Inspire. You've written, an inspired employee comes to work lit up about what they're doing because they feel they matter, their work matters, and the impact they're having matters. Do you worry that there's a lot of people potentially on the cusp of burnout because they haven't been able to play to their strengths, they haven't been able to identify the why, the purpose? What state do you think a lot of people are in in their personal and professional lives today? I do think that we are, a lot of people are there. And they're feeling exhausted and burned out because they're not seeing the impact. They're also not having a sense of purpose and meaning and contribution to it. So we've, we've disconnected it. They're maybe working hard and very engaged, but they're uninspired. And they're not seeing the inspiration from their leaders and from their people. The number one thing people want from leaders is a leader who inspires that was a study from Zinger Folkman. All these factors, I can't see the, the, the connection to purpose. I'm not seeing why this matters. And that leads to burnout or the impact that it's having. People are working harder than ever before. We've got to make those connections to purpose, to meaning, to contribution, to impact, to inspiration. You know, again, breathe life into and command and control sucks the life out of. We've got to trust, inspire, breathe life into. That's what's needed. Your book, Trust and Inspire, speaks to five common barriers to becoming a trust and inspire leader. What's the one that you think people could easily grapple with? The very first barrier, this won't work here. You know, someone might be listening to this and saying, Stephen, this sounds like a good idea, but 
you don't know my company <laughs> or you don't know my boss or you don't know my situation or you don't know our industry. You know, we're very command and control. We're very compliance driven, regulated, you know, you know, so nice idea, Stephen, this won't work here. And what I would say to that is just work right within your circle of influence. Start with yourself. What have you become a trust and inspire person? Yeah, maybe your boss isn't, and maybe the company is very command and control, but you could become a trust and inspire leader and build a trust and inspire team in a command and control organization. And you can get results in a way that grows the people. And then you can ripple out from there, like the ripple effect metaphor, where the drop of water comes down, the ripples, the waves, they start at the inside and they move out. You do it yourself. You lift where you stand. You begin to become the model that, that can become the mentor. It's very easy to say, this won't work here. And I'm saying, well, just narrow it down to working on yourself then. And and you model being a trust inspire person and go and be a trust inspire family member in your home and community member in your, in your neighborhood. And then you can, you know, begin to do it on your team and ripple out from there inside out. Let's all look in the mirror and start with ourselves. Stephen Orkovy, just finally, your other book was The Speed of Trust and you looked at the trust deficit. Are you hopeful about the prospect, the ability to rebuild trust in the world in general right now? Now, look, I'm not Pollyannish and, and uh, I'm, I'm aware that we're operating in a low trust world and that tends to perpetuate itself, you know, because certainly distrust can be contagious. But I do think it, it goes the other direction, too that when there's trust and confidence, people respond back with more trust and confidence. In other words, when you extend as a leader, when you trust somebody, they tend to trust you back. When you don't trust your people, they tend to not trust you either. And so it goes in either direction. If you can get that virtuous upward cycle going from the inside out, starting with ourselves, then you can begin to see change happen. And so I'm not naive. This is going to be hard. And there's some companies that are really low trust and some societies that are really low trust and it, and it's tend to perpetuate all around us, but we can counteract it. We certainly can do it individually. And if you can do it on a, yourself, you can do it for a team and then you can begin to have other teams do it and begin to ripple out. So I am a realistic optimist. <laughs> I think that it's possible, but the only way we're going to do it is by behaving our way back into trust. You can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into, but you can behave your way out. And collectively, as people, we need to behave your way out. So while I see a crisis of trust everywhere, Ornia, I also am beginning to see a renaissance of trust with people, with leaders that are saying there's a better way to lead, to operate. And the more of those we see, then the more models and mentors we can have and we can elevate our world. Well, on that hopeful, inspiring note, thank you so much, Stephen Orkavi, author of Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Thank you so much for joining us on Reignite. Thank you so much, Orna. Wonderful to be with you. I appreciate it.